What's up, everyone, and welcome into Scrap the Playbook. So, so excited for the guest we have coming on this week. He is a former NFL receiver and coach, 30 years of NFL experience, third all-time in receiving yards when he retired in 1998, Henry Ellard. He played for the Rams, Washington, briefly with the Patriots, and then was the St. Louis Rams receiver coach, also was the receiver coach for the New York Jets and New Orleans Saints. Has quite the resume, quite the stories to tell. So excited to have him on. I actually had the chance to work with him back, oh gosh, it's like five years ago when he was the head coach at San Antonio Christian, which was the high school that I graduated from. So had the chance to work with him there and very excited to have him on. So let's go ahead and just dive on into this interview because, man, he's got a lot to talk about. All right, and I am now joined by former NFL wide receiver and receivers coach Henry Ellard. 13, or excuse me, 30 plus years of experience, either as a player and coach in the NFL. Uh, coach Ellard, thank you so much for coming on and uh, agreeing to talk to me. Um, it's been a while. It's been a while since we worked together, about what, four or five years now? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, you know, you played back in the day when receivers and could really get hit and the, the corners can really, you know, throw guys into the ground and much it was a much more physical game. Did right. you ever watch and think, man, if I played in this NFL, I would run over <laughs> everybody? It's so funny because I tell you know, when when us veterans get together and former players get together, we kind of talk about things and how the game has changed. Uh, compared to when we played back in the day, when you go on a training camp and you're in, you know, four weeks of tour days, uh, which is not existing anymore. You know, tour days is unheard of. And just thinking how long we might have been able to play this game the way it is, the way it's set up nowadays. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Well, you had a pretty long career. You played with the L.A. Rams, Washington. They were the Redskins when you played for them, obviously the commanders now. And then right. you kind of had a brief little stint with New England and then back to Washington. Um, you know, unfortunately, you didn't benefit from having, you know, a, a Joe Montana or one of the <laughs> one of the quarter elite quarterbacks right. of that time. But you still managed to finish third all time in receiving yards with uh, 13,777 yards. So still a very mm -hmm. impressive career. But, yeah. but looking back, you know, out of the quarterbacks that you did play with, who would you say kind of stands out as the best one? My guy is probably Jim Everett because that we put up the most numbers together. You know, when he came in uh, back in 86, I believe he came in. And then when Ernie Zampezi came over with that San Diego offense and things started to come together, we had Flipper Anderson, of course, on the other side. Things started to really come together and, and uh, we started to put up some good, pretty good numbers. And then you also had the... I guess it's a luxury because you got to play with Eric Dickerson, but also kind of <laughs> you a little bit because he was getting a lot of the offensive production. Right. What was what was he like in in practice and in games, and what really just made him such a great player? I mean, just the way he went about his business. I mean, when he runs, he runs so effortless, and that's the crazy part about. It. I remember both our rookie years, we we're in training camp, and Eric was running. He runs upright. You know, and but he's very smooth in the way he goes about his business. 
and he was running and, and Coach Robinson uh, at the time came over, pulled him over to say, Eric, you got to run. You're not running. He's like, Coach, I'm running. And you don't realize how fast he's running until you put somebody next to him or somebody's trying to catch him. That's when you realize how fast he's actually running. He's just real smooth in the way he went, went about his business. But I tell you what, Eric carried us on his back for the first four years, taking us to the playoffs and everything else. The pass game wasn't too much of anything. You know, you catch 40 balls close to 50 balls that year, you did good. And that's just how it was back in the day. I learned to become a good blocker. And, you know, you, you mentioned blocking there. I feel like that is something that do – you, do you feel like it's emphasized as much in today's NFL? Because I feel like it's still such a key part of the game, but you just don't really – you know, with everyone wanting to get the, the yards and, and the stands, <laughs> do you feel like blocking almost gets overlooked nowadays? It is. I mean, the ball being put down the field, but I still see guys, Cooper Cup, you know, um, still working downfield, trying to do their part in the running game, just like the backs do in the passing game. It's, it complements one another. And you still see guys, they, they still go down and, and understand the importance of putting your hands on a DB, covering him up, giving that back a chance to make plays down the field. You, know, you mentioned uh, Dickerson kind of carrying you guys in the playoffs. You had the unfortunate luck of running into the 85 Bears in the postseason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. What, what yeah. was it like going up against that legendary defense? And did you ever see a route that led you across the middle of the field and think, nope, I'm, I'm not running that route? Uh, no, no, no. I'm a daredevil. I love those challenges. Uh, as a receiver, but when you're going up against a team like the 85 Bears, uh, it's funny because early in the game, we were actually doing pretty well. It was probably 60 degrees in the first half, you know, and, and it was like, okay, this is perfect for us. But then that second half rolled around. The wind started to pick off and coming off that lake, the temperatures dropped probably 30 degrees, and it, and it just changed the whole outcome of the game at that point. What would you say was the toughest environment you ever played in? I would say probably uh, Chicago was one of those places. New Orleans in the Dome was one of those places. But you love going to places like that because, especially the Dome, because you're going in and you quiet everybody down when you're doing well. And uh, my first experience in the Dome was where I scored my first NFL touchdown as a rookie on a punt return in the game that we had to win to get to the playoffs. So I have nothing but great memories here, but there's a lot of battles that was always going on in, the, in that place. That's for sure. You know, you, you know, you were really able to make a name for yourself mm -hmm. on special teams as a punt returner. I know as the NFL looks at, you know, changing rules to make the game safer. I, I think there's been some conversations about adjusting special teams play or eliminating kickoffs and all that. How do you feel about that? Considering that's how so many guys are really able to stay on a roster and have an NFL career for a long time. I mean, you look at Matthew Slater on the Patriots, who is just one guy. No doubt. I know Matthew, I knew him back in high school from playing, of course, with Jack in LA. But, you know, and that's the sad part about it. I understand the safety of the game, you know, but football's football. You know, you take that chance when you when you when you sign up and when you play the game. And to me, the big thing was the challenge of running down the field, running across the middle of the field, knowing Ronnie Lott's back there somewhere. That was a challenge, but I took on that challenge and there was always that opportunity, I mean, a chance of getting hurt, but that's part of the game. That's what you sign up for. And I remember one time, uh, Ronnie Lott hit me one time. I said, I'll never let that man hit me like that again because I wouldn't play very long if I did. You know, but that, that's part of the game to me. You know, I can understand making a game safer, but, but again, you got to let them play. Now, aside from 
uh, Ronnie Lott, what are what were some of the other defensive uh, players that you thought, man, I really don't want to go up against this guy? <laughs> I'll tell you what, after going up against Ronnie Lott, it didn't matter who else I went up against. I mean, Atwater with the, uh, with the Denver Broncos at the time was another one of those Ronnie Lotts in the AFC at that time. But Ronnie, was a, since we, he was in our division. We played him twice a year. He was always my concern. You know, because he didn't care about his own body, you know, but I cared about mine. So I tried to avoid and take an angle to avoid hits that he would uh, when he's coming downhill at me. And then how have you really seen the game? Because the game clearly is a lot safer now than it was when you were playing. How have you seen kind of how have you seen the NFL really try and take those precautions and ultimately make the game safer? Yeah, and I to just and to me. Uh, as a receiver and, and something I took about taking on those challenges, it took some of those challenges away as a defender, much as I, you know, I'm an offensive guy, much as I don't want to stick up for a defender, but I understand, you know, it makes it tough on them. When they're going in to make a hit, they got to make sure the head's up and all of a sudden that, that target can change if the offensive player starts to drop down and, and the defensive guy got to make that adjustment. And that's tough to do in the, in the heat of the battle, in the heat of the moment. So again, you were third all time in receiving yards when you retired in a nineteen and ninety eight. When did you start to feel like in, that you were ready to retire? Was it more so just you just you just didn't want to you weren't you you weren't there mentally or was it physically? Which, which happened physically. first? Yeah, it was more physically than anything else. Going into my fifteenth year, and I can feel it starting to come on. I say after my fifteenth year, I feel okay. I'd like to play one more year is what I told myself. Um, and I was fortunate, like I said, to play as long as I did and stay fairly healthy. But your body, you know, you know your body. You, that, you don't come out of that route quite the same way you did, you know, a couple of years before that. And, and that was just part of it. Just feeling the little things coming on. And I wasn't one of those guys that wanted to hang on. You know, you get in, I had a blessed career. You know, it's time to move on to something else bigger and better. And then, of course, that last season, you spent part of it with New England for a period of time, and then you went back to Washington. You told me a story several years ago about when you first got to the Patriots regarding Drew Bledsoe. What was that story? (laughs) It was funny because when I got there, um, got some of the other receivers, Bledsoe's a little different now. He'll throw the ball one way in practice, but he throws it completely different in, in the game. I'm like, wait, what do you mean? I don't understand that. I never heard that before. And sure enough, in practice, that nice ball coming, catch it. I get in that first game, and that ball has like a scud missile coming through the air. <laughs> it had a lot of heat on it. It, it really did. And I understood after that uh, happened with the exact – I never experienced that before. You know, and it's neat. It was kind of funny the way he goes about his business in practice compared to in the game situation. Now, did you drop any more passes, or after that, was it like, okay? No, I, I dropped the first one that he threw to me, and after that, I was good. Was Parcells the head coach in New England at the time? No, uh, no, it was the uh, Seattle coach. Uh, <laughs> Pete Carroll? Uh, yeah, Pete Carroll was there. Yeah, <laughs> well, and it's funny because uh, the only reason I went there is because Ernie Zampini was there, the offensive coordinator. If it was anybody else, I wouldn't have done it. Ernie, I owe my career to Ernie. He jump-started my career. But he was there as an offensive coordinator. They lost uh, Vincent Brisby and Terry Glenn went down. And they had to had um, Troy was there at the time, Troy Brown. But then they, they had a bunch of young guys. Ernie knew I knew the offense. 
so he, he reached out to him and asked him, he said, Henry, look, we lost a couple of our receivers. We need some guys to come in and fill in until we get them back. And I said, Ernie, that, yeah, that's not a problem. So it's funny. He flew me in, or they flew me in on a Monday. I worked out on a Tuesday. And it's funny because it's a guy named Tim McCoy who used to play with the 49ers. And I used to battle against him all the time. This guy that runs his mouth all the time. But he's there, you know, we're on the bus coming, I mean, on the van coming from the airport to the hotel. And he's just, yeah, and you know, back in the day, and I'll, you remember those times when we were beating up on you guys and all that. And I'm a guy, I don't get into a verbal volley. I just listen and smile. So sure enough, we get out there for, for the workouts on Tuesday. And sure enough, we do some one-on-one drills. Tim Carr walks out. He's over the top of me one-on-one. And he just kind of smiles. Sure enough, I ran a go route on him. Caught it for a touchdown. I looked at me just like old times, huh? He didn't have nothing to say after that. It was so funny. But yeah, it's just one of those things where we worked out and they signed me and uh, I ended up starting on Sunday. That's awesome. Um, so after, you know, after you retire, you eventually got into coaching. Did you ever think when you were a player that coaching was something that you eventually no. wanted to do? You're shaking your head. No. <laughs> no. Gotta, change. You gotta, you know, the thing is that as a player, you have that player mentality. And, you know, as a coach, you see those coaches, they put in some serious time. And as a player, in the way you, you don't want to have to deal with that. And it's funny how it kind of uh, came about. When I retired, I moved back to Southern California. I was at um, a YMCA working out one day opened up a newspaper and it was this small Christian high school that would had hired a coach and two weeks before they're going to start, he walked away. My heart went out to these kids and I said, you know what? I'm going to follow this story. If they hired themselves a head coach, I'm going to go volunteer. That's how I got into coaching. Didn't plan on it. Said I would never do it. And, you know, after the first year or so, I said, you know, I kind of like this. This is kind of cool. Working with the kids, just passing on knowledge that you've learned over the years and try to help them, help them out any way you can. So I did that for a year or so. And then I said, you know what? This is something I think I may consider. So I called Pat Hill up at Fresno State. Uh, and uh, I said, Pat, you know, I'm thinking about this coaching thing. Um, I'd love to come up there and volunteer and see if that's really what I want to do. So in 2000, he said, come on down, see what you think about it. If you like it, sure enough, we can plug you in. We'll right off into the sunset, local boy going home. <laughs> and sure enough, in 2000, when I coached there, I coached Bernard Berrien, was one of the guys uh, that played in the league for a number of years. He was there on that team. And, I, and that's when I fell in love with it. I said, yeah, I think I want to do this. And it's just amazing how the timing worked out after the season was over. Um, I get a call from Mike Marks, who was the offensive coordinator for the, for the Rams. Dick Vermeil retired, he just became the head coach. I knew Mike from Fresno State. He helped recruit me to Fresno State. So that's how I knew Mike Marks. And, you know, and at the time I wasn't sure, you know, I said, you know, we think about staying in Fresno. But uh, after I talked to Mike, Ernie Zampezi called me. He said, Henry, this is something you may want to consider. You know, it's a great opportunity for you. And after Ernie Zampezi, uh, getting off the phone with Ernie Zampezi, I said, you know what, let me talk to my wife. And we decided, okay, let, let's go do this. And it, and it was a blessing because first year as a head coach, I mean, as a, a position coach in the NFL, I walk into the room. You got Isaac Bruce, 
You got Tory Holt, you got Ricky Pro, you got Ozakin. I couldn't ask for a better situation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was it was really a blessing. And then the way we went about our business is it was just like a veteran player talking to another veteran player. And we just through a bounce things off of one another. Well, what would you do in this? Well, this is what I would normally do. And that's how we kind of went about it. And, and these guys were just professional in the way they handled the business, the way they practiced. They took a lot of pride in it and made my job easy. Yeah, I was about to say, coming in and you get the greatest show on turf as the receivers, you get to get to, get to coach. I, I feel like that's a hard job to say no. <laughs> yeah, it really is. You know, like I say, you couldn't ask for a better situation. That, that's for sure. And then, you know, you mentioned it was a lot of, uh, you know, former player, current player kind of bouncing off one another. How do you feel like, do players almost, I don't want to say respect, but have a hold to a higher regard, the guys that know exactly what they're dealing with? Or how do you feel like that relationships help a coach or hurt them? Yeah, I mean, as a former player, it's instant credibility because they know you've played the game, you've been in situations. So what you're talking about is from experience, not from something you learned over the years. Not taking anything away from a coach that didn't play the game because there's a great coach out there as well. But it's just a different connection. Because again, you've been out there in the trenches and doing the things that they're trying to do. And they respect that and they listen to what, you, what you're telling them and trust in what you're telling them. Did you ever think about becoming a head coach in the NFL or were you just, I'll be here? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm good. That, that's just, yeah, that's going too far with that. I, being an assistant was perfect for me, you know, just being able to give back and help out the guys that I could. So, you know, you mentioned the receiver room. You also were getting to work with Kurt Warner, um, Marshall Falk, but Falk. just watching those guys, you know, Hall of Fame players. Yes. What, what did you see that just really helped them be a step above everyone else? What they did in practice. They took a lot of pride in what they did in practice. They took what they did in practice and carried it into a game environment. That's the biggest part of the game is being able to do what you do in practice and carry it into a game environment. They were the best at doing, doing those things because they worked on it in practice day in and day out to get better. And then, you know, with, with Kurt Warner and kind of his, his story, you know, how did you mm-hmm. feel, you know, he, because he had such humble beginnings, was, was that just something that he, he always carried with him? You could always see that like, that is it. Was he always one of those guys he's studying, he's practicing, mm-hmm. like he's still trying to earn a spot. And that's it. And I think that's the, the work ethic never changed. No matter how good you are, that work ethic never changed. You know, you're always trying to find ways to get better. You know, uh, working with Isaac Bruce, you know, going in his 12th, 13th year, he was the first one in the room sitting at the front table with a pen in his hand, looking to learn, looking to find ways to get better. And, and that's where you know he's a good player because you're never satisfied. You're always trying to find ways to get a, gain an advantage. And you're looking for ways to get better on a daily basis. And, and that's what they made them so good. Well, Obviously, you had a very good season in 2001. Although, Until. unfortunately, <laughs> you, yeah. you ran into yeah. the, the, yeah. the beginning of Tom Brady's story. You just happened to be on the opposite end of. Right. <laughs> you know, look, looking back, so you run into the 85 Bears. You ran into the 89 Niners in the NFC Championship game. Now you run into the Patriots in the Super Bowl and Tom Brady. But – 
looking back on that game, you know, just what what do you remember most about that? I mean, it, it's the Super Bowl. Were you were you much in awe, or was it very much, hey, I'm with a group of guys that have been here before, so this is business as usual? Yeah, I mean, just that environment you hear about it, but until you're in it, it was it was just amazing to take all that all the energy that was in the building at the time, and uh, and just trying to take it all in, and you know, and of course, trying to stay calm, you know. But when you got a veteran group like we had. That went about the way they went about their business. It made it easier. Uh, that's for sure. I just wanted to make sure guys were on top of that game, remember the details of what they need to do. Because again, one player or another can change that whole game, for the most part. But being part of that was it was a great experience. My only chance to be in that Super Bowl environment, but I enjoyed every bit of it, other than the result. <laughs> when when you saw that last drive, was there a thought in your head like we're, we're did you get to see Tom and think that that kid's got something special or were, were you just not even, were you focused on, Hey, if we get the ball back with some time, we got to figure something out. No, nah, my, yeah, my thing was like, okay, we got to stop these guys. You know, we, we fought, you know, to, to get back in it. You know, we just got to stop and get that because the momentum was working in our, to our advantage. And I think they knew that. And if we got that ball back, we knew it pretty much would have probably been over. Um, but they did what they needed to do, drove down the field. You know, and that uh, prevent defense, boy, I didn't, didn't prevent too much of anything at the time. <laughs> at the time, you know, and like I said, they got down and watching that ball go up through the uprights was just a, uh, just a sickening feeling, that's for sure. You know, looking back, was there anything that kind of stands out to you that what Belichick and his defense was able to do? Because that was the big storyline is how they, they, they changed. Held, you, held you guys in check. But, yeah. What, what was it that they did? They changed the rules after that. I don't know if you realize that. They were tugging and grabbing on us. And because of that, they changed the rules that next year. They got away with some stuff. They really did. It was some things we could have took advantage of that we didn't uh, because they played with, with, I think, six DBs on the field at the time. And when you got a guy like Marshall Falk, who is from the New Orleans area, coming back home, you would love to to give, give him the ball a little bit more and gave him an opportunity to make a difference in that game. Because you go back to the uh, NFC Championship game against Philadelphia at home, very similar. First half, we were struggling. Second half, we made a decision to give Marshall Falk that ball. He took over the game. And, you know, you loved to said, you know, we could have did the same thing, but, of course, it just didn't work out that way and didn't play out that way. You know, the, the following season, I, I remember listening. It was a documentary. It might have been the Brady Six. Um, and it was talking about kind of a bit of a Super Bowl hangover. You made a change at quarterback and all that. What what do you think happened that kind of kept you guys from being able to get back to that level in the remaining time that you were with the Rams? Yeah, like I say, you have some changes that have come about. Um, and then, of course, uh, injuries can come into play as well and then a little bit of luck really you know just things didn't click uh like they did the, the year before and this and that's the thing about it when you got that time you got to take advantage of it when it's there and uh, that's what we try to do again we just came up short talking with henry ellard former nfl wide receiver and receiver coach so after st louis you had to stop with the new york jets and the New Orleans Saints. Saint. Yes. And I, so the time you were with the Jets, that's when they went to back-to-back -back AFC championship games, correct? With Mark Sanchez, yes. 
So you got a little bit of revenge against the Patriots, <laughs> knocking them out in I, 2010. I, 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 I'll tell you what. Um, early in that season, and I couldn't, you know, after that uh, Super Bowl, I couldn't stand the Patriots. So, you know, when you got a chance to play. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, got, we played them early in the season, and, I mean, they beat us down. I think it might have been a Sunday night game. I can't remember, but they beat us down pretty bad. And Rex Ryan, it was funny because on Monday when we all got together in the meeting, we were all in the meeting. He had us all come out, following him outside. He went outside. He had had a hole dug in the ground. He took that football from that game and he buried it, is what he did. We were trying to figure out what's going on here. We're just, you know, just, like I say, we just got beat down on national TV, bottom line. But then later on that season, I mean, that, that same season, we played them in the, in the first round of the playoffs up in New England. No, it was the and, divisional round. Yeah, yeah, it was in New England. And and we got our revenge. I mean, guys came out with, with a chip on their shoulder and, and we put that game together when we needed to at the right time and ended up winning and, and advanced on from there. So I know you said you're not a fan of the Patriots, but that – that story of the burying the football, Bill Belichick did the same thing back in, I think, 2003. It was after the Bills shut them out oh, in the opener okay. 31-0 with Blesso mm. as the QB. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure multiple coaches have done something, something like yeah. that, but just to, yeah. to kind of throw the Patriots back in. <laughs> I don't just understand, but like I said, and it just, well, even with the Patriots, just things that's come up time and time again from the flood, the football thing that came up with the air and the pressure. They just the one thing game. after another came, yeah, came up with them, and it just um, one of those things. So I, I don't know, but I mean, you got to give them credit to win as many Super Bowls as they won. You got to be special, but you know, and they didn't have necessarily dynamic players. They just had a great, great group of guys that worked together very well, and again, you got to give them credit for that. You know, the old saying, do your job, and everyone was That's it. They, they did yeah. their job. <laughs> no doubt, and they did it well. So after so after the Jets, you go to the Saints. Drew Brees, what's he uh, like? <laughs> Special. <laughs> You're talking about a work ethic. Not a big guy, you know, not a fast guy, but talking about smart football intelligence. But the thing that impressed me most about, about Drew Brees is one – on Fridays, we'll usually finish up around 12 o'clock because it's a half a day for the most part, just polishing things up. We come off the field. I go into the weight room that overlooks the indoor facility, and I'm getting ready to work out. I look out the window, and there's Drew Brees out there by himself going through every play, his progression and everything else by himself, and he did that every Friday. And I say, okay, I understand why this man is good as he is because of the, the way he prepares himself. It was, it was impressive. And then talk about kind of just his relationship with, with Sean Payton, because, you know, right now with how Denver's not looking, that hot, there's been a lot of, yeah. who do yeah. we need to, who carried more weight in that relationship? But just, you know, what, what did you see from kind of their interactions and just, and just Sean Payton as a coach? I mean, they were both on the same page. It's kind of what it was. And Sean, like Mike Mars, was a mastermind when it came to the offense knowing what he wants to do, how he wants to do it. When you got a, a quarterback that can navigate like that, Drew Brees, you can ask for anything. It isn't better putting the playmakers around him and and, uh, and letting him do his thing. And, and they had a great relationship. And based off of your time 
with Sean and watching the fiasco in Denver, do you feel like, do you feel like, you know, Sean's going to write this ship eventually. It's just going to take a little time. Yeah. And I think so. Sean has been around. He's been there and he's done it. So much as you wanted to come together that first year, a lot of times it doesn't happen. It's growing pains and, and getting everybody on the same page and understanding what you want to get done. And I think, you know, over time, he'll, he'll get things right. That's for sure. So, you know, we, we, we talked about, obviously, you've, you've gotten to play with some pretty special guys, gotten some mm. to coach some pretty big names. Is there a name you played with or you coached that maybe doesn't, is not a name that people think automatically think of or know? Mm. Is there someone that comes to mind? I tell you what, um, what's funny is I share this story all the time about always talking to the second string guys and the guys that's not starting. You got to prepare yourself like you're a starter. And a story I like to share is a young man uh, that I coached with with the Rams named Yo Murphy. He used to play with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We brought him over as a, as a free agent. And he was that fourth slash fifth guy played a special team role for the most part, but very smart. Um, and again, just knowing the playbook, knowing what you need to do. And in that Super Bowl against the Patriots, Ozekin got hurt, went down for a player too. So Mike Mars, okay, who are we going to put in? My, I didn't hesitate. Yo Murphy, I sent him in the game. Mike kind of looked at me and said, are you sure about this? <laughs> and of course, in the game like that, your heart's going 100 miles an hour and just hope he does the right thing. But I knew Yo Murphy knew the playbook. And sure enough, he came in the game. We started him in a slot. We shifted him in the backfield, and he ran a swing route. And a normal guy couldn't do that stuff. You know, it could have been disastrous. But sure enough, and I want to even say we threw him the ball, and he, he went down the sideline for a few and got a first down for us. So I always use him as that story, as that guy that never – I mean, that season, he may have been in three games to relieve a guy because, you know, Isaac down the field, okay, Joe going in and give him a, bro, a blow, then he'd come out and he'd go back in. And that's how it was. But he knew the playbook. And that's just a story I like to use, how you prepare yourself for any opportunity that may present itself. To get an opportunity to play in the Super Bowl and get a pass thrown to you and make a play out of it, doesn't get any better than that. And I always remember Joe Murphy because of that, because I appreciate him knowing what he needed to do in that given situation. Not to keep going back to the Patriots, but no. that, that just made me think of uh, Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl against Seattle. Mm, yes. He knows that play because they've studied it time and time again and knows how to react. And that that wins the Patriots to lose that Super Bowl if someone runs the ball and doesn't pass or Malcolm doesn't make that play. So it, it is you, you that is something that I feel like coaches always preach at every level. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're the starter second string you like you have to prepare the same yeah you do because you don't know when that opportunity is going to present itself and if you're not ready guess what you'll never get that opportunity again so you always have to prepare yourself and make sure you're ready and then in that, in that particular game why they bought didn't give that ball to the land i, I have no idea that you know <laughs> but that's one of those things you live and you learn i guess but um thinking you know is there a game, 
a happier game <laughs> that stands out to you um, as a player and as a coach, you know, whether it was your performance, the team's performance, what really mm. is the, is there one that you always, you always kind of like to think about? Um, for me, again, against your rival, San Francisco, I believe it was in 85, it was a Sunday night game. And it was a game that we were fighting for the divisional championship, uh, whoever won that game. And in that particular game, um, I was on the right-hand side of the field. Dwight Hicks, who was a former safety, and I guess because of injuries, they moved him to the corner. And, of course, Ronnie Lott was at the safety spot. I, was run, I ran a go route down the right sideline. And sure enough, I think it was, I believe it was Dieter Brock who threw the ball. The ball's coming, and I see Ronnie Lott coming. And I'm just like, oh, my God, okay, something's going to happen here. <laughs> so my whole thing was just to focus on the ball as much as I can. Uh, at the, in that situation. And sure enough, as Ronnie came over, he collided with the defensive back. Oh. They both started to go to the ground. The ball hit the back of the leg of the defensive back, Dwight Hicks, and the ball came up in a spiral, pointed up. At that time, I turned backwards, was kind of backpedaling. And as I saw the ball, it's like a Christmas present all wrapped up waiting for me. And I sure enough, I reached out and grabbed it and kind of backed into the end zone for a touchdown. And we went on to win that game, to win the division. Man. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a great moment. And it's, the nice thing about it, a photographer actually caught that, that moment. So you can see me turn backwards. You can see the ball sitting pointed up as I went to reach for it before I got into the end zone. That's awesome. You know, you, you mentioned the big rivalry with the Niners. So obviously yes. your counterpart rival would be Jerry Rice. I actually had someone tell mm -hmm. me a few years ago um, when I mentioned your name, he said, Jerry, J Jerry's probably the GOAT, but Henry – ran routes better than Jerry Rice. <laughs> and that's what, that's what I took pride in. That's what I took a lot of pride in, is my route running ability. Because um, I was one of those guys where I didn't rely necessarily on speed, I relied on quickness. Um, and it's so funny because I was just in uh, Washington at a reunion with the commanders. And of course, I seen Daryl Green, who I haven't seen in ages. And that's the first thing he started talking about. It was me and Gary Clark. And just talking about our route running abilities and, and the things we did. You know, I had one particular route I like to run as a come 18 yard comeback. And people tried to stop, but they just couldn't. That's a because, tough route to run, yeah. period. <laughs> let alone yeah. But that was a bread and butter for me. And I and I love that route. And I just after working with Jim Everett over time, it's time that we were on the same page. Well, I'm running down the field and I'm looking back at Jim Everett when it's press coverage. And if he wasn't looking at me, I wouldn't come out of the route. I just continued to run up the field so I wouldn't give it away. But it's when his eyes came back to me is when I would get in and out of the cut. And I wasn't worried about the guy running hip to hip with me down the field because I knew what was going to happen at the top of the route. And that's what I relied on as a, as a uh, receiver. Coach, do you believe you're a Hall of Famer? Because I certainly <laughs> <laughs> I know. Was, was it this last year that or currently you made this, the semifinals of the Hall of Fame ballot? I can't, I can't remember what, what it yeah, was. Yeah, I think it was this past year where, where that came up. And then that was, that was my last time as modern air. Then I went into the seniors uh, group after that. And then I think it, uh, Tory Holt was on the ballot. He should be it. i tell you what. i tell you what. That, that, that's a shame. It really is that he's not in, uh, for sure. The, the thing, I mean, he was the first receiver, I think, that had 
with the six straight years of 1,600-yard seasons, something like that. It's just something that even that Jerry Rice didn't even have. And the fact that he hadn't gotten in, it just, it's, it's, a, it's a shame. Well, I think he'll get in eventually. You should get in at some point. I mean, it, when, when you, I think just personally, when you look at your career, like, you know, you didn't have a stellar quarterback when the Rams mm-hmm. were giving the ball to Dickerson most of your career, still mm-hmm. managed to be third all time in receiving. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're a name that maybe you, you might be one of those guys where the casual fan might not know who you are, but a, yeah. a legitimate NFL fan knows who Henry Ellard is. So I think it's only a matter of time, coach. I'm obviously pulling for you. Um, but how cool would it be to say you got to coach a Hall of Famer in Torrey? I tell you, him and as well as Isaac Bruce. I mean, two two guys with two different styles and the way they went about their business, but very effective in what they did and took a lot of pride in what they did as a, as a playmaker. And I, you couldn't ask for anything better than that, especially as a coach. Uh, that's for sure. You know, and people ask about the Hall of Fame. Wow, well, you know, what are you? I, I don't like to talk about it. Just that, that's just how I am. Yeah, they say, well, if it was one thing you can say, you think that uh, you think what may could impact you. I said, well, the thing that stick out to me, and I didn't think about this until a few years ago. I started kind of going through my back through my quarterbacks. I played with thirteen different quarterbacks. Wow. Yeah, and, and my caught passes, I, I won't say play, caught passes from 13 different quarterbacks in my career. And, and if that doesn't speak for itself, I, I don't know what does. I mean, usually when, when guys are having to deal with a quarterback carousel, yeah. they're not putting up um, the numbers that you're putting up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just, you know, so. But I, I can't complain. I was blessed to play the game, you know, for 16 years, live out a dream and, so I, I have no complaint. That's if it happens, it happens. If not, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. How uh, how much have you been watching the Rams so far this season? I know we got Cooper Cup uh, back, 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 and yeah. then that that one wide receiver out of BYU. Uh, I tell you what. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what have you What have you seen uh, when with what you've seen from him? What What kind of stands out to you about him? And that's the perfect thing we talk about being prepared. You know, when you think when you lose a Cooper Cup, you think, oh, okay, wow, production's going to really fall off quite a bit. But he stepped right in and, and kept this thing going, and, and that's how it should be. That's, that's the way you should prepare, you know, and that's a perfect example of it. So just to see him step up and, and go in and make plays like he's made, you know, that's what you, as a coach, that's what you, you get them prepared for. And you hope that they step up and, and able to do that. And he's done a great job with the opportunity he's been given. That's what you like to see as a coach and as a quarterback. You're receiving, <laughs> but uh, you know what? What are your thoughts, kind of, on the Rams this season? I know I think a lot of people counted them out. They seem to have a little bit more fight and life to them um, than a lot of people thought. But I just kind of want to get your thoughts because I know I know you've stuck following the Rams pretty closely. You know, yeah. for obvious reasons. Yeah, everybody goes through their ups and downs, and, and we talk about this all the time. The season is, is not a sprint; it's just a marathon. So you're going to have things that go the big, big thing is try to stay consistent. You know, injuries always plays in a factor in it as, as well. But they're, they're, they're going through their, their tough times. You know, the big thing is as long as they stay together, things that start to come together and they'll start to fall in place for them. Henry Ellard, 30 years of NFL experience as a player and coach. Mm-hmm. Coach, thank you so much for, again, taking the time to talk to you, catch up on some things, and just kind of dive into – a really, really great career that 
if I don't have a vote for the Hall of Fame, but if I did, <laughs> I'd vote yeah. for you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me.